Dr. Calvin Watt, superintendent of Kent Public uh, School District, will be leaving his post in Kent and relocating to Georgia as he takes over as superintendent of the 13th largest district in the country. And while it may be a bittersweet moment for Dr. Watts, a native of Seattle and many of the greater Seattle community, there are those who are saying that Seattle's loss will be a great gain as it relates to education across the country. When they talk about education, his tenure in Kent uh, and his role uh, in Gwinnett County, uh, Georgia, is Dr. Calvin Watts. Good morning, Dr. Watts. Good morning, Sabetic. Pleasure to uh, to be here and to be with you, share space and place, and uh, uh, proud of the moment and humbled. So thank you for having me. Yes, sir. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on this morning. I really appreciate your time. And first of all, Dr. Watts, uh, congratulations to you. Thank you so much. Uh, my family and I are, are extremely excited uh, about the opportunity to return to Georgia, where my wife and son were actually born, and where I grew up uh, professionally, as you know, where I grew up personally in the Seattle area. This is a, a wonderful opportunity for student staff and, and families, and I couldn't be more uh, excited about the opportunity itself. Right. And Dr. Ru- Dr. Watts, uh, as you just mentioned, you have yeah. strong roots here in Seattle, but you also have some very strong ties to Georgia, and more importantly, uh, Gwinnett County and the Gwinnett County School District. That is correct. As I share with with uh, you know many colleagues, part of my origin and leadership story is that my parents uh, met in Washington State from from the Deep South. They did the Second Migration. Uh, they met, married, and and uh, I was welcomed to the world three years later. I grew up in a sleepy suburb once upon a time called Bellevue, and spent most of my waking hours in the Seattle area. Uh, at the same time, when I graduated from high school, I attended Howard University and went from one Washington to the other. Once uh, I graduated, I came back home to uh, the Seattle area and began my teaching career in Seattle Public Schools and uh, had the opportunity to still partner with many of those leaders who uh, I uh, was supported by and uh, and lifted up in the Seattle Public School District. Uh, the second year of my teaching, uh, all of my friends and colleagues said, you've got to come uh, to the East Coast. In fact, you've got to come to Hotlanta. This was uh, the early, mid-'90s. Uh, sold everything except for my books and my clothes, Chris, and I uh, relocated to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And one year, top five, turned into 21 years where I served uh, as a teacher, uh, head soccer coach in Atlanta public schools and Carrollton City Schools, and was recruited to serve as an administrator as an assistant principal in Gwinnett County Public Schools. And I served in progressively uh, responsible positions from assistant principal to assistant superintendent in Gwinnett County Public Schools uh, for 13 of those 21 years. While I was in Georgia, of course, that was the opportunity that provided me uh, a superintendent role in Kent, and it's where I proudly serve today for uh, for the uh, the brief brief moment until we make uh, uh, at least the uh, final stages of uh, of our transition. Right, and Dr. Watts, let's talk a little bit about your time yes. in Kent because. Uh, Kent is a district that has been growing even prior to you joining the district, uh, but has been really growing uh, and taking off since you took uh, over as superintendent, which I can imagine poses its own set of issues because there are those who would say that Kent is a city uh, and other cities in King County that were not really prepared for the type of growth that they've sustained for a number of reasons. I mean, this is a district that, you know, quite a few years before your arrival uh, at as superintendent, was being sued by the NAACP for handcuffing black students of all ages, including one student, I believe, if my memory serves me correct, who was about six or seven years old. Um, but with that being said, um, you know, what were some of the initial challenges that you had to deal with when you took the helm of Kent, and how were you able to uh, resolve them or at least make some progress towards resolution? 
I appreciate that question. And, I, and I, I'm first and most importantly, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to serve in Kent has been uh, one of the highlights of my career. It certainly has been not without its challenges. And, and at the same time, but more importantly, uh, we have achieved uh, historic uh, gains and outcomes in, in many areas. But when I arrived, uh, I did not make any assumptions, Chris. I, I know that I, I knew a little bit about uh, every community within the South King County, King County area just because I grew up here. Uh, but quite a bit of change during that 21 years that I was, I was in the, living in the Southeast. When I arrived in Kent, I uh, began what I refer to as my look, listen, and learn entry plan. And that process was uh, engaging with uh, richly diverse communities, uh, with, with individuals who I grew up with who knew me when I was just a, just a top, and those who knew me uh, just as, as an uh, out-of-town uh, uh, educational leader from, from Georgia. And the reality is uh, you start where you are as the African proverb states, but you don't stay there. And I, I asked dozens and dozens of questions for a total of three months. Uh, what do you love about Kent School District? What are the challenges? What are the pain points? If you could change something about Kent School District, what would that be? And I looked at our data. I reviewed our anecdotal data and reviewed the comments from, from families and students and staff members. And I began to uh, begin the uh, the process of analyzing and, and identifying what those challenges were. Yes, there were some challenges with uh, what I would call disproportionate discipline rates, and I interrogated reality and just began asking questions. Why? Why do we think this is happening? Or why isn't this happening? And, and what is it that we might need to, to do differently? Uh, what I've learned and what we've been able to accomplish really is based on core values. It's based on a strategic plan and planning process that emanated from uh, the results of my look, listen, learn entry plan. Uh, those three values are first among equals is equity, second is excellence, and the third is community. Knowing that we cannot do this work uh, by ourselves, but the reality is, with regard to discipline uh, components that you you mentioned, not proud of certainly some of the data that that uh, that we had and have. Uh, we're making perfect progress. What I asked our community to to really understand is that. Do we believe that these students are, are acting out uh, in, simply because they are wanting to, to, to do harm? And that was the question I had to ask because that was the, the conversation. Uh, the adults were believing that our students were willfully attempting to do harm to others. And I said, let's also ask ourselves, what do those behaviors that our students are exhibiting, what do they communicate? Because what I do believe, and just what I know from my own educational background and, and history and learning is that every behavior communicates a need. We just need to understand what that need is. And then we work uh, to make sure that we address those needs individually. That's why this work is so hard, Chris, and, and yet uh, so fulfilling. But that's where, that's where we started, and we've made great gains. There's still much work to be done. I'm proud of the results and the progress that we've made thus far. Right. And, uh, Dr. Watts, let's talk a little bit about COVID, because that's right in front of us right now. We're in the middle of dealing with it. You know, there are those in the field of education who say out of all the school districts in the area that the Kent School District under your leadership was the most prepared district when it came to uh, adapting to a virtual learning environment and really dealing with COVID and pro, uh, COVID protocols. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? I can. Uh, I, I've, ha I've heard that. I'm humbled and honored uh, by that anecdotal uh, 
you know, commentary. And the reality is we worked incredibly smart and hard, Chris, on uh, making sure that we had all voices at the table. We created a back-to-school reopening task force that included 108 members of our uh, staff community, including uh, every labor group uh, was, was represented. Uh, we included uh, individuals who understood the operational aspects, the, uh, the academic aspects, and the social-emotional aspects that we needed to have at, uh, a seat in the, in the circle or a seat at the table. And in that conversation, uh, we were able to, again, uh, assess our, our current conditions, uh, problem-solve, and most importantly, try it looks like we had a little bit of a technical difficulty, but we are back. Uh, and Dr. Watts, are you with me, sir? I am, I am very much with you. Are we, okay. Sorry, we had that, that uh, disruption. Did you get everything you needed? Um, you know, we, we, were, we were talking a little bit about COVID, and you were, last thing you were talking about uh, the groups and the, that you had put together. Um, but um, yes. let's talk a little bit about the um, two things, if we can talk about learning yes. models, um, because uh, today's learning environment, uh, there are many challenges that relate to the diverse needs of students that span many different aspects of education. You know, we often hear about world-class learning environments, progressive learning models, and for those of us who have not been inside a classroom as a student, uh, like myself, for quite some time, you know, how different is a learning environment today than it was 15, 20, even 30 years ago? And has that changed um, uh, with the different protocols and things you guys have put in place uh, as it relates to COVID? And I appreciate that question, Chris, and it's it's a very complex uh, question, in fact, because uh, the reality is is school and, and K-12 education, pre-K-12 education, as it's known, it hasn't changed much in the last 400 years in this country. And, and that is something that we are working and striving to, to, to actually change the process. So I will tell you that COVID, while it did not create uh, academic gaps or it, it certainly did not uh, create the inequities that exist in public education, what it did, however, do is, is exacerbate and really bring those those gaps that existed to light. And we could no longer, uh, even though in Kent we were not ignoring the, the gaps, what we learned is that we have to make sure that, that equitable uh, practices, such as making sure we understand and begin leading with empathy, how our students show up each and every day impacts how they learn. So what we engaged in, uh, in through our COVID environment was making sure we identified uh, our students' well-being beginning with how they were feeling, what they were feeling. We began each uh, classroom session uh, with class meetings, very short, uh, at the same time, very profound opportunities for our educators to check in with our students to ask what they were feeling, how they were uh, being challenged, and, and what, uh, what ways and in what ways could the adults actually support them more effectively as well as their families. Uh, we also learned a great deal about uh, personal protective equipment, making sure that our students felt safe, our families felt safe, and, and sending their children to school. Uh, we had to engage our technology in a, in a different way. And as you may know, Kent School District is, is widely known for, for many aspects of education. One of those is also technology and, and implementation. And we made sure that our technology supported the needs of students, whether they were in person or whether they were actually uh, working and learning remotely from their place of, of residence. It was a challenge, a challenge for our students, 
even more so, I would say, a challenge for uh, our adults who had to learn new ways. So professional learning was a part of our strategy uh, and vision and communicating to families, helping them to understand that this model of instruction is not what it was like when, when you were going to school or when I was going to school. So we also created support systems for our families. Uh, in fact, a family tech academy was instituted to support just just-in-time training for, for our families and caregivers, parents, to understand what our students were learning and, most importantly, how they were learning. So we wanted to lead with equity to make sure we addressed individual needs of students, staff members, and families when they needed it, and to ultimately improve outcomes. We'll certainly see evidence of that um, beginning in the fall for, for Kent School District. But uh, we do feel that we were able to address many needs, even in these most unprecedented times uh, as a result of COVID. Right. And Dr. Watts, you know, you, you just talked about, um, you know, having teachers and administrators, you know, check in with students about how they're feeling, how they're doing uh, during COVID. You know, given that education is a partnership between the educators and the parents and the families, you know, how important is it for parents to, to check in with their um, students in the same manner um, to make sure that, you know, that they really are prepared and have the resources that they need um, to be successful in the classroom and the, and the uh, academic environment? Thank you for that question, Chris. It, it is it's vital, it's imperative, and, and I will say this. Uh, there is no way that, that we as an educational system can uh, perform our duties and responsibilities of educating each and every child uh, in a way that, that they will thrive upon graduation without our families, without our community partners. Uh, and now certainly uh, we provide just-in-time training, also information, whether it be through our, our website, our uh, ingoing two-way meaningful communication. And I'll give you some examples of how we communicate. Because part of my role as superintendent certainly is to, to create a vision for the organization. In other words, uh, where do we want to see ourselves in the future? It's also then to create a strategy with the team members that uh, I have the opportunity to serve alongside, including our school-based and district-level leaders and our community partners and families. Uh, ultimately, we want to make sure that our students are learning and achieving at an increasingly higher level so that they can be at least reasonably successful uh, at the next grade level or uh, in their, uh, their choice of, of post-secondary uh, opportunities upon graduation. We've engaged uh, with restorative justice practices, to go back to your earlier question, to make sure that we understood the importance of restoring relationships each and every day between students and students, between students and adults, uh, between adults and, and families, or students and families. Uh, we created, certainly, a strategic engagement communication strategy uh, through our Communications and Public Affairs Office, which reports directly uh, from the superintendent's office. Communication is leadership. We partnered with our Parent Teachers Association Council. Uh, we also it created, uh, through my tenure, a central office open house. You know, have uh, students and families come to schools for open house at the beginning of the year traditionally to see what school is like, what the classroom is going to be like, what it's going to be like to be in uh, a certain teacher's classroom that you may have in third or fourth or tenth grade. We did the same thing for our central office because people really and families did not know why the central office existed, what supports could be provided. So we opened the doors to our community so they could see how families' meals, students' meals were being prepared, 
Uh, you might be be surprised that there are families who send their children to school uh, on a bus. I've never seen what a bus looks like on the inside. We gave them tours uh, and shared all of those opportunities so that, that the community understood that that uh, the school is a part of the community and the community is a part of our schools. And through those lessons, again, I believe that sense of understanding what diversity means, that we're all different. That's what really makes us the same, as Chris Rock once, once said, uh, that equity, uh, inclusion, and belong. That is our goal. So that our students feel a sense of belonging so they can also feel a sense of dignity and being a part of something very special, which we've been able to uh, to create. All of those lessons uh, we've learned. And there's still more to more more lessons to learn, as you know. Right. And Dr. Watts, uh, I, I have two questions left for you, and I appreciate your time this morning. Um, the first one is if we can talk a little bit about Gwinnett County School District, uh, because this is a very large district uh, with big school district challenges, you know, how many schools and students are in the district and what is it about this uh, position that makes you excited about this opportunity? Well, I appreciate that question. And, and I will say once again, uh, the opportunity to, to go home where I grew up professionally. I spent 13 years uh, serving in Gwinnett County and it is the largest school district in the state of Georgia. It is the 13th largest school district in the country. And it's not lost on me that, uh, it is six and a half times larger than Kent. The reality is that uh, the diversity that exists in Kent is essentially identical to the diversity by by percentage uh, to the diversity that exists in, in Gwinnett County, Georgia. And uh, it is not lost on me that much of what we've been able to accomplish is what was attractive uh, to the interview process, the board members with, with whom I've had the opportunity to speak. And ultimately, uh, my wife, our son, were born in Georgia, so there's personal and professional reasons why this uh, this opportunity is is uh, an incredible uh, one, and certainly one that I could not uh, uh, look look past. And so I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to uh, to go back to the place where I grew up professionally, and certainly to apply many of the lessons that we've learned in Kent uh, to apply those to some of the same challenges that that uh, currently exist in. Again, as I said, humbled and, and honored, uh, and look forward to serving. Right, and Dr. Watts, I'd be remiss if I didn't allow you an opportunity this morning to speak directly to our, our community here in Seattle and, and Kent. Yes. Uh, many of whom have seen you grow up both as a young man and as a professional. But really, just give you an opportunity to say whatever it is on your heart this morning to them as you and your family prepare to leave the area. Well, Chris, thank you again for this time and to the uh, the greater. Uh, Seattle, South King County, Kent uh, communities, I just w want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart uh, on behalf of my family, uh, my ancestors, my parents whose bodies are no longer with us, but uh, those who knew them and know them, they know who I am, and, and uh, I certainly know not only who I am, but whose I am. And, and, and what we've been able to accomplish uh, was not without its challenges. It certainly did not happen by any one person alone. It was a total effort that supported the, uh, what we would refer to as the, the opportunity to address the individual needs of each and every student, staff member, and family member. That's, that's why this work is so challenging. At the same time, as a result, we were able to see historic gains, and I'm proud of the fact that uh, as of 2021 school year, our, our African-American students, for example, were 
uh, were graduating at an 87.8%. That's an 8.1% increase uh, during my tenure. And the reality is our graduation rates for all students uh, have increased. And and our goal, obviously, is to continue this progress. And it is not because of, of me, but it's because of our children. And my goal, my expectation would be that, that these uh, perfect progress moments would continue long after uh, I'm a part of, of Kent. It is a special, special place. Uh, it has a hold a special place in my heart, personally and professionally, my wife and family and our son, who just graduated this year. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity to extend uh, my hand and shake his, as well as present him with his diploma. It was a highlight uh, of my career, and we are incredibly excited for what's, uh, what's next, if you will. More importantly, we appreciate the opportunity that led us to this point by serving as superintendent for six years uh, in Kent School District. Well, Dr. Calvin Watts, uh, again, I want to congratulate you. I know there are many people here in Seattle or across the country, for that matter, who are very proud of you and excited uh, to see uh, and witness the next leg of your journey. Thank you, Chris. I look forward to uh, staying in touch. Uh, My family is here and uh, certainly a family uh, on the East Coast. But uh, thank you again for this opportunity. Uh, proud and humbled to serve and look forward to staying in touch. You're welcome. We we real, uh, really want to keep those lines of communication over and staying in touch with you. And best wishes to you and your family. Thank you so much, Chris. You take care thank and you. all the best to you. You too. Thank you.